0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Telewellness wellness Hub Podcast. I'm your host, Martin Hamilton, and today we get to speak with Dr. Gabriela Hurtado-Alvarado. On today's episode, we discuss trauma-informed care that is neuroaffirmative and culturally grounded. Dr. Hurtado-Alvarado is a, one of the people that leads quickly care therapy and training. It's based out of Austin, Texas. It's a bicultural mental health practice. They are trauma-informed and culturally affirmative as a practice, and it provides interventions that are understanding of the experiences of trauma and multicultural identities. Their clinicians are experts in Latinx mental health and leading professionals in culturally grounded care. They work to facilitate healing from painful emotions through a collaborative approach centered in empowerment and hope. Hi, welcome, Dr.
1: Alvarado. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be in this space with you, um, and get to talk about, you know, trauma-informed care, um, in our practice and the work that we do.
0: Yes, I really have a lot of questions, and I think, I think of the general audience too. Like, I, I don't know, for listeners out there, probably have a lot of questions. Like, what does trauma-informed care even look like? Um, mm-hmm. What does it mean? How can it benefit others? And, uh, but before we dive into that. Why do
1: you do the wellness work that you do? you know we I came into this field really through like a branch of activism in college, and so part of what I wanted to do was to do uh research and use those tools to like really address the challenges we were seeing in our community and in that process, I landed in grad school and you know worked in as a clinical psychologist, and one of the things that um, was limiting about and continues to be uh, limiting about our field is that we don't include BIPOC populations in the treatments that we do, in the research that we do, in the consulting that we do, right? And so a lot of these approaches fall short or we need to adapt them in all kinds of ways um, for them to work in our community. And so that's how PricklyPair came to be. Me and um, my colleague Josie Serrata. Actually, came together in a space for Latina researchers because we were looking for mentors. Uh, we were looking to connect with people with similar interests, and so we came together in that space. And we were talking a lot about the the different ways that this work can be challenging. And so we decided to found Berkeley Bear and do, you know, implementation of evidence based practices of somatic work of different styles of healing in our practice. But also bring in a lot of mentorship and a lot of organizational structures for the folks that are working along us um, so that they can get supported, so that we can get training on specific interventions and on healing culturally specific healing practices in a supportive environment, in an affirmative environment for our practitioners, but also and for our clients.
0: Oh, I love that for practitioners and for clients. And I love that question too. Because, and that's why I ask it at the start of everybody because I, of every episode because so often I think the, the why sometimes it's so eye-opening to hear people's story behind the background, the training, the, mm-hmm. the dissertation, the time in clinical training and, and hours and establishing a practice. I love hearing the heart and, and the story behind what drives that passion because you have to be committed. You have to be committed to show up <laughs> don't to do that because just to give people a background and understanding about how many years have you been dedicated to this? Then? Because you mentioned, you know, there was activism in college and that led to grad school and you have your PhD. So like, how many years has this been something for you?
1: Um, so I went to college uh in 2006, and graduated from my PhD program in 2015. I had to go through my program a little bit faster because I was an international student at the time. Okay. Um, so I usually would add another year to that, and then you know we're required to have time that is supervised in order to get licensed as a clinical psychologist. Not every psychologist mm-hmm. is in clinical in clinical right. settings, and so they they might not go through a path, but in order to get licensed, you need at least one year of supervised experience after getting your PhD. And so it's been altogether almost 17 years to get here.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I just, I really admire that. So I just wanted to highlight that because I I just, I know from colleagues who have gone the route that you have gone through, I, the passion, it really has a lot of commitment, hours, blood, sweat, and tears, (laughs) truly. And so I just really admire that. And and for those listening too, when the depth of expertise and, and dedication to this topic that that you have just uh, Mm -hmm. is really, really admirable. And I, I, that's why I'm also really excited to get to speak with you one-on-one and pick your brain Thank so you. for yes for those listening can you explain the concept of trauma-informed care a little bit and and its significance
1: when it comes to mental health absolutely and I just realized I want to say 17 years since I'm to get here to yes. where I'm right now yes. um, but yes. overall it's about it's a it's a while it can be like it's a while months.
0: no <laughs> I think people I, I you know people are really surprised I think because I think sometimes like I don't want to generalize for everybody, but I think in the field of psychology, there are lots of different paths you can take. And then also on top of it, not every field within mental health does the same thing. And I sometimes I think people might think like, oh, maybe you're learning how to ask questions or different things, but some people are focusing on research or some people are focusing on clinical interventions, uh, assessment creation and statistics. There's so much. And one of my goals with this podcast is to also inform people like what goes into, yeah, you know, the background, the, the training into when you go into that therapy session or you schedule, you know, your consultation, just kind of the preparation that it took to get there. So yes, not, I understand yes. all that, but just the, the level yes. of commitment to this, to where you've arrived now. So
1: no, I'm not. I love that because I think that's something that when you're in it, right, you can forget (laughs) how long it it took. And so I think that also gives us pause, right, in valuing the work and the expertise that we bring. Um, And for folks to know, right, like when, as you're saying, like when they connect with us, what does that mean? What are they getting when they're connecting with us? For sure. Yes,
0: exactly. I mean, I was really, when I read your bio, to me, that really stood out. So I was like, yes, I get to. (laughs) <laughs> Speak with this expert in this field. I want to pick her pick brain. So, yes, I'm curious if you could share a little bit about that. Like, what is trauma informed care and its significance in mental health?
1: Yeah, so trauma informed care um, became a buzzword, I think, like in the last 10 years, right? And so it was a paradigm shift in our field where we had, we, we were having conversations and then requirements and then guidelines and in practice. About understanding around what trauma is and how it impacts the individual, and how that shows up in the room outside from the direct interventions that we have. Um, How does it show up in organizations? How does it show up in our communities? And so, what we really mean by that is that when we have folks that come from an event or events that have changed the way that their nervous system functions and in long term, right, impact the way that they see themselves, they see the world around them, uh, where there isn't a lot of trust or safety, then it's going to impact the way that we connect with one another, the way that we connect with, in our case, with providers. And so there's a lot of different things that we can do to then provide a sense of safety from the get-go. So that starts when we have our websites up and people can find information about how our offices look like, what we look like, um, what our backgrounds are, what our stances are and approaches are to the care that we provide so that people, you know, we're, we're being open and transparent about that. And then having a lot of collaborative practices to make sure that people feel empowered, understood, seen, and safe. And so what we want to make sure as part of um, Charming from Care is to understand uh, what folks are going to need to feel safe and, and uh, be able to show up authentically in the room, which is key to then be able to develop rapport and be able to develop a relationship to then implement the work that you know we're in our yeah. space to do. So things like having our policies and procedures outlined. For people to read and also having conversations about what those look like, answer questions, have a very collaborative approach where we are meeting people where they're at, all the way to how we orient people to when they're coming to our offices, Mm -hmm. letting them know what to expect, what, you know, how long things are going to take, what they're going to be asked to do. And then in the therapeutic process, really creating. Trust um, and one of the biggest interventions that we'll do is gonna be in what happens in the room live and that therapeutic relationship of course we have like different strategies that are really important and uh, for people that experience trauma, especially complex trauma uh, then it's gonna be really important that that we are even more open that we are even more intentional about the space that we create so that it feels. And is a safe space for people to show up.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh, the level of mindfulness and intentionality, and the things you described, really speak to wanting to help create, like you mentioned, kind of that grounding. Because you're right, trauma is so disorienting. It could be so mm-hmm. disorienting, and you know, you highlighted that it can it changes the nervous system. So of course, it's mm-hmm. going to change perception, change how we everything. And I think that is. A really compassionate approach not just like clinically strong right but like very mm-hmm. like it sounds very compassionate approach with empathy um, and dignity and um, giving your clients the opportunity to know exactly what to expect sounds like it was really 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 helpful and do you find that there are specific maybe cultural practices or interventions that you find effective or helpful when working uh, with individuals who have experienced trauma, who are part of the Latinx population? Absolutely. they're culturally um, sensitive.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, when uh, I, I'm somebody that was trained by behavioral, um, and so I was training DBT and ACT and CBT. Um, and so those interventions were helpful for folks that were in in certain points of their journey right and that had access to um resources and i don't only mean financial or time um uh, but also a lot of regulation right to be able to engage in a lot of that cognitive work and so where we start is um with a lot of folks is bringing in a lot of somatic work and so um understanding where folks are at in that uh, regulation journey um, from trauma healing and so we bring a lot of those practices that are very consistent to um, not only the presentation that we see with Latinx folks or in general folks of color where a lot of the stress is, is really somaticized and so we use both evidence-based strategies like the stress tolerance module, emotion regulation uh, from DBT, but also somatic experiencing and mindfulness-based, breathing-based practices in the realm, very present focus to what is going on and being able to monitor clients and then practice a lot of those different skills in the session in the moment. And then we use, in addition to a lot of regulation skills and psychoeducation, Um, We do use a lot of narrative approaches to therapy um, and really trying to um, make a lot of the concepts that we're uh, educating our clients on more approachable, more consistent with the way that we talk in our community and addressing a lot of the stigma around mental health and really working on um, our clients creating community, really amplifying the social support that they have. And when we're talking about different interventions, for example, for interpersonal effectiveness, for social skills, really focusing on cultural values and how those look in our community. And so implementing those different skill sets is gonna look different. Um, And so really working on a true application of those skills in a way that is culturally grounded.
0: Wow, and do you find that there are certain stereotypes, you know, we're talking about culture um, Mm -hmm. and being culturally grounded, you know, Certain, I don't want to like spend too much time talking about necessarily like the stereotypes, but I think it's important to to bring up perhaps any possible misconceptions about trauma within uh, culturally diverse communities that you mm-hmm. see, whether it's you know in training others or within your own practice, maybe how people feel that they should be, or um, and and how can we address those?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of shame about mental health in general, so for folks to be struggling, for folks that are struggling with mental health concerns, there's not really a lot of openness to talk about it. And the other piece is that a lot of our communities are in survival mode, and so there hasn't really been a room to address things like trauma and intergenerational trauma, and so there's not a lot of things that we talk about. Um, so when we start naming things, I think keeping those terms very neutral is important, right? So we're explaining intergenerational trauma without judgment to address shame, to address the stigma, and to also understand that a lot of our folks are doing the best that they can, and some of the things that we're doing might not be um, helpful, right, or may, may actually be harmful. And so I think that is that is the first one, is that we might not talk or believe that mental health concerns have a real impact um, because we have to put them in a container inside of us to continue moving forward um, because we're in survival mode. And I think the other um, big concern is that uh, we don't know what what therapy actually looks like. And therapy is not something that um, is talked about. Is something that you know is for a certain group of people, or that is for quote unquote crazy people or people that quote unquote, can't get it together, right? And so that might mean that you're not strong enough if you're in therapy. So um, a big chunk of recovery is really addressing how that stigma is internalized. Even when we've done a lot of work to be aware of these things and therapy and healing is aligned with our values, we might still have a lot of internalized shame. And so we put that front and center and we talk about that and normalize a lot of those different emotions and coping mechanisms and coping skills that we have, um, in the context of right survival of um, what we have available, things that are helpful or unhelpful, and so I think those are the main two um, that I see a lot in the in the groups of people that we that we work with, aside from the summarization of symptoms, and so not connecting that a lot of those somatic symptoms are part of mental health um, as well.
0: Yeah, what are some of those that you typically see of those, of those somatic symptoms?
1: A lot of migraines and headaches, a lot of chronic body pain, a lot of gastrointestinal issues, a lot of autoimmune disorders. Um, usually in folks that have experienced complex trauma for prolonged periods of time, what we do see is that there's development of chronic illnesses, autoimmune disorders, just chronic GI issues. Those are the main the main ones.
0: And I meant to ask earlier about complex trauma. Can you give just a general overview of what complex trauma is compared to just uh, to other trauma, just complex right. trauma specifically?
1: Yeah, and let me distinguish them. So when we talk about trauma, a, we talk about an event that had adverse adverse consequences for our Um, mental health right where somebody felt like or truthfully like their life was at risk right their safety was at risk and there's this negative impact that that event has had um in the way that we see ourselves in the world around us when we talk about complex trauma we're not talking about one discrete event but we're talking about multiple events that happen during a prolonged period of time and so those are things like domestic violence, interpersonal violence, child abuse, child sexual abuse, things like all of that on top of like immigration, racism, discrimination. Um, those are things that compound and will have different impacts so on top of the dysregulation, the negative affect and negative ideas that we have about ourselves and the world around us. We also see a big impact on the way that we connect with others in relationships because uh, we've learned that people are not to be trusted. We've learned that maybe our system and our way that we see the world is not to be trusted. And so we will show up in in a very different way. Interpersonally will really impact that. And then we have... Um, developmental trauma which is when um, these events happen at times that are critical for development especially during childhood or adolescence
0: you know earlier you mentioned because you're right there are so many layers and i everyone's experience can vary based on what they experience within trauma and i'm assuming that brings different presentation when they come to therapy and we talked about some of the maybe shame or guilt or assumptions that are negative when it comes to maybe being open to therapy or thinking about therapy. So I, I kind of want to bring some light to what you see happen when people start healing. So we know what they what they feel like that okay, we talked about, maybe migraines, stomach complaints, and this is what they might feel like therapy is maybe not for them because it should be strong enough. And but when they do walk in the door and they take that courageous step and they're talking with you and they, they they now know what to expect because they're there with your practice and they're starting to do the work, the healing work. What are some of the first
1: signs of
0: kind of recovery and healing that you see people experience?
1: I love that question because it's a question that we get a lot with when clients are coming in. It's like, how would I know that I'm getting better? And yeah. so we well, talk a lot about That piece, Um, and then when we're wrapping things up, we you know do kind of like a a flashback to all the things that they've done, and so a lot of them can connect to some of the things that I'll share. So I think first and foremost, um, most of the clients that we see that have experienced trauma, complex trauma specifically, our practice really um, works with a lot of folks that have that experience. We see a decrease in suicidal ideation, both passive and active. A lot of our folks are chronically suicidal especially feeling very hopeless for a long period of time. And so we start seeing a shift in that, as well as in reasons for living. So a lot of folks, when they come in, they um, have a few, you know, relationships or things that they're looking forward to. And then we start seeing them connect with those things that really motivate them, really are source of joy of engagement, right? And that really have them connect with this will to live and to this will to create a life that is enjoyable and pleasurable, you know, and that is worth it. So those two, and I think interpersonally, one thing that we see a lot is that when when folks are coming in, they're very, they're very guarded and and there's a lot of distrust. And so when we're, you know, recommending different skills and, and coping strategies, there's a little bit of okay, I'll, I'll do it, but I, I, this is not going to work out for me. You know, like things are always been this way and they'll continue to be this way. And so then we see a lot more openness to trying different things, to applying them, to tolerate that things aren't perfect. We start moving away from black and white thinking or a lot of our folks do a lot of uh, intellectualizing. So we move away from that. And we also start um, seeing folks which they hate that I use this phrase of sitting with your feelings. And so, I mean, being present in a moment with their emotions to be able to recognize the different things that are happening for them before an emotion shows up in this very intense way, as well as when they do have those intense emotions, what can we do? How can I take care of myself? And really implementing a lot of those skills in the daily.
0: I bet it is such an incredible thing to witness that transformation. I'm mm-hmm. uh, I, I. That sounds wonderful. I wanted to give everyone an inside view to see like how can they feel better? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. Because I know that when you feel lost, it's hard to imagine. Like how will this work for me? And what could I feel like? And uh, that things can get better. Are and just to hear it, the ways that you see that present itself for your clients is so encouraging. So. Dr. Hurtado Alvarado, I really appreciate you being a part of our wellness journey today. How can people connect with you? And and, and in what states? Do you see people? You see people outside of Austin, right? Remotely. Yeah. So, yes.
1: Yeah. So um, you can connect with us on social media. Um, we are Our practice is there on their Brickley Therapy, and we're on uh, all social media platforms. And I'm on Instagram as La Doctora Hurtado. So um, that is one way. And also through our website, BrickleyBreadTherapy.com, um, where you can contact us through there, see what our practice is about.
0: How can people connect with you? And you see clients, you see people all through Texas virtually, right?
1: Yeah, so we see folks virtually in, uh, you know, in all the state of Texas. Dr. Zarrada and myself are um, side pack providers, which means we can see folks outside of outside of Texas, um, and there is a list of a lot of different states that are oh, outside of this. This is like a passport that allows us to see folks yes. uh, across different states. And so, sadly, it's not every state in the United States, but there are some. Yes. Um, yes. And so, folks can check that out. Those states are listed on our website, okay. um, and more information about Pact is there. And we also see people in person in the Austin area, in nearby areas, or hybrid models um especially because we do therapy but we also do assessments and so we're able to do those assessments in hybrid form and if appropriate virtually
0: okay oh good that's great news Because i wanted to make sure that people can get access to you i mean yeah. on all the amazing work that you're doing and i'll make sure to write those links in the in the show notes and also prior to recording uh, I was talking with Dr. and I found out that y'all are also hiring. So if you're listening and you're a provider, also maybe reach out because, and you're interested in, in working with quickly care therapy. It sounds like a wonderful place to work at. So just wanted to give that shout out too. But thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being here and for being part of our wellness journey.
1: Thank you so much for having us.